One of the great dangers about taking any biblical story, biblical scene, biblical triumph, and making it a yearly celebration, a holiday, is that we can end up missing what the story was about in the first place. We can certainly see this in Christmas, a celebration that has become about a jolly white-haired man in a red suit and white beard, and very much less about what the story was in the beginning. Next week is Easter Sunday, a story now about Easter bonnets, Easter bunnies, chocolate, other assorted sweets, yes, even those peeps. Divided, divided loyalties on peeps. Am I right on that? Some people love them, you love them, or you hate them. It becomes about something other than what the actual story is all about. I thought of this as I reflect on Palm Sunday. Now, certainly that doesn't have the commercial kind of cachet that Christmas does, that Easter does, or other holidays. But if you grew up in church, you grew up with Palm Sunday, and I remember this for many years here at Straight Gate. Every Palm Sunday, we would give out palm fronds to each of the children who rode the buses with us. Now, you can imagine we weren't dumb. We gave them out after church, not before church. And even after church, when we gave them out, those palm fronds were used far more as swords than they were as celebratory kinds of things reflecting the majesty of King Jesus. It just is part of the deal. Whenever you celebrate something, you run a risk of forgetting what it's all about. And that's why, as I start here this morning, I want to ask you, what do you think Palm Sunday is about? What do you think Palm Sunday is about? I Put it this way. You're riding an elevator with someone to the top of a Minneapolis skyscraper, and you get into that elevator, and you've got about 30 seconds, and someone looks at you and says, you know, I'm curious about something. Christians have this thing called Palm Sunday. What is that all about? You have 30 seconds. What do you say? What is Palm Sunday all about? And the point of what we're going to do here today, as we just work through the book of Mark together, we happen to come to this passage commemorating Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday all about, and what was it about at the very beginning? Now, I wonder if in your Bibles there is already a clue, or maybe there's already some context. If you look down at your Bible, and right here in chapter 11 in verse 1, is there any little marker that is put in by the authors here, by the, those who put together your Bible? Does it say anything by way of description? Maybe you see something like the triumphal entry. That would be a very common way to describe what happened here on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Well, the interesting thing about what happens at Palm Sunday, I'll just point out for one, is that very little of the narrative is actually Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Look with me at Mark chapter 11 again. It is not until verse 11, the very last verse that Calvin Todd read for us this morning, that Jesus actually enters into Jerusalem. 
And then all we learn is that he goes into the temple, he looks round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, it was evening, it was getting dark, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. He went back out of Jerusalem. He comes in to Jerusalem, he sees everything, he looks around at the temple, and he turns around and says, it's getting late, and he goes back out of Jerusalem to where he came from Bethany. Now does that sound much like the triumphal entry? Palm Sunday is not so much about the triumphal entry as about it is the triumphal procession on the way to entering. You see, the simple point is this. What do you know about Palm Sunday, and is it based on what the Bible says about what happened on Palm Sunday? What we're going to see here, I propose in Mark chapter 11, is that Palm Sunday is ultimately about the king doing something intentionally. The king announcing himself to the entire nation of Israel at the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to be calling the question for them. He's going to, in this last week of life, for him, in an earthly ministry sense, he's going to call the question, what will you do with me? The title of the message this morning is simply this, The King Has Come. The King Has Come. And just as he did nearly 2,000 years ago, today and every day, the King has come. And he intends to force the question for all of us, what do we intend to do with him? Now, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 and start with me in verse 1 as we just work through these few verses and try to understand what Palm Sunday really is all about. And I'm going to start with what I call a curious arrival. A curious arrival. Now, why do I call it a curious arrival? Well, let's start in verse number 1 of chapter 11. And when they came nigh or near to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now stop right there. What do we know so far? What have we learned? Well, let's go last week. Where were we last week? At the very end of chapter 10. Jesus is at the city of Jericho. Not the Old Testament city of Jericho. A new city of Jericho built for Herod that was there, and it was a royal affair. It was a royal city. It was, as I understand it, a summer place for the king. And Jesus is outside of Jericho, and we talked about the crowds that were already surrounding him. These were not necessarily people who just lived in Jericho. They were part of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. Now again, we're here directly in the right season of year. Passover for the Jewish people is this week. It will be celebrated. We are right in the geographical area, right in the, the, um, the season of the year in which Jesus was here, right around the month of April. So what happens? Jesus is now being swarmed by people who have heard of his miracles. They are starting to identify him as the Messiah. Jesus stops and heals the blind man, blind Bartimaeus that was there outside Jericho. And now he is continuing his procession upwards to the city of Jerusalem. And now he stops just outside Jerusalem 
at Bethany and Bethphage, two villages on the Mount of Olives. Now, just a very quick geographical note. The Mount of Olives is one of the most central places in biblical history. The Mount of Olives was where Jesus ascended to heaven from. The Mount of Olives is where scripture says he will descend back to earth. He will come and walk the Mount of Olives once again in his risen form. The Mount of Olives, though, is not so much a mountain. If you've ever been there into Israel, it's really almost more like a ridge. It is a hill that is about 100 to 200 feet taller than Jerusalem. So you look up to the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, but then it goes down into a valley over the brook Kidron. You have heard of that Jesus crossing over the brook Kidron and then coming back up into the city of Jerusalem. So now Jesus is on the Mount of Olives in this village perhaps a mile or two miles away from Jerusalem. So fairly close, but not immediately in the city. And he is going to come down now, down through the valley, and then back up into the city of Jerusalem. And now there is going to be a surrounding crowd of pilgrims who are also going to celebrate the Passover from all over Israel. They are going to be making the trip with him. And notice then what is said. He sends forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. No one has ever sat on him. He's not broken in. Loose him and bring him. Now, notice this is a very curious command. Go and get a colt. Now, this word colt is often used to describe a horse, but it could be used also to describe uh, the young of any similar type of animal of burden. And in this case, we know from the other passages, it refers to a donkey. Jesus rode in on the young, the foal of a donkey, or as we read it in our translations, the foal of an ass. This is a donkey that Jesus is going to ride in. Now, what a, what a curious thing. Jesus says, go into Bethany over there, go into this village over there, and you're going to find a donkey. And you're going to go up and you're just going to start untying him and you're going to take him with you. Bring him to me. Now, if you're the disciples at that point, you're thinking, well, this is strange. You're telling me to steal a donkey? Well, notice what Jesus says. Verse 3. And if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him and straightway or immediately he will send him hither. He will send him here. Again, how crazy is this? You're the disciples. Jesus says, go into the village. You'll find a donkey right when you walk in. You just start untying him and take him. And if any man says, hey, what are you doing? You're going to say, hey, the Lord has need of him. And they'll say, okay. I want you to think the next time you come out into your driveway and someone walks into your driveway and opens the door of your car and is getting in and is fiddling around with the thing and, and you say, hey, what, what are you doing? Oh, oh yeah, the Lord needs your car. Oh, okay, all right, go ahead, please, please. I'll, 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 I'll signal you out in, into, into the oncoming traffic, please. Is that not bizarre? What's going on here? Well, 
The wild thing is, look at verse 4. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, where there were two roads, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto him, What do ye loosing the colt? What are you doing? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. Just like Jesus said. Now, there are two ways that this could have happened. Scripture doesn't tell us. One way is, I would say probably the way that I usually imagined it, is that Jesus exercised his all-knowing nature, his omniscience. He just knew. He knew that the cult would be there. He knew that's what would happen. And he's saying, I'm just going to borrow him for a little bit. The Lord has need of him. That, that could be. Do you know it's equally possible that Jesus just planned ahead? That wouldn't take anything away from his intention here. It's not said one way or the other. In fact, some people uh, have suggested that the Lord has need of him was just the password. Jesus had lined it up, and Jesus said to his disciples, go there, and there's going to be a, a, a donkey right where I tell you, and if anyone asks, you just say, the Lord has need of him. And say, oh, okay, all right, all right, I got it. Yep, go ahead. We don't know one way or the other. I don't think it takes away from Jesus' glory or his thoughtfulness one way or the other. You decide which you think is more plausible. But all we know is that these two disciples come back to Jesus with a young donkey. And we know from the other passage that his mother the donkey's mother was also there, undoubtedly perhaps, because this is a, a donkey that was not broken in. It, no one had ever ridden on this donkey before. And now Jesus was going to be the first one who had ever sat on this unbroken foal of a donkey. What on earth is going on here? Well, then look what comes next. Verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Stop there. See, well, of course that's why you get a donkey. Do you know this is the first time in all of the Gospels when Jesus is recorded as riding an animal? In every other case in the, in the Gospels, Jesus is either walking or he is in a boat. This is the first time he sits on an animal. This is out of the ordinary for Jesus. It's out of the ordinary. It's unusual that he calls a donkey and just go unloose him and bring him. And then he sits on him intentionally. And will you notice with me in 11 verses in which Mark records this entry, this procession, six of them, if not seven of them, have to deal with Jesus calling the donkey. That's kind of a weird focus, isn't it? What does Mark want you to know? Mark wants you to know that Jesus was choosing the donkey and was making an intentional choice about how he was going to enter into Jerusalem. That's what Mark is trying to communicate to you. This is the key detail of the story. So stop and ask yourself, why is this the key detail of the story? Why was Jesus riding a donkey? What's the big deal? Now you're asking the right question. Okay? So start, first of all, with the curious arrival, and then secondly, I'm, what I'm going to call a clear announcement. What is this all about? Why does it matter that Jesus was riding a donkey as opposed to anything else? To understand that, you need to know about a prophecy, a promise of God that was made to the Jewish people about 450 years before Jesus came. 450 years. Years. Now you say, let's put that into our context. I want you to imagine that some kind of announcement or statement was made 
in the year 1580 AD. 1580. Before this King James Version of the Bible was translated. I want you to imagine that in that time, there was an announcement, a prophecy, a promise that is only going to be fulfilled today. And you've got the idea. 450 years before. You say, what's this? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Now keep your finger in the book of Mark here. We're going to come back. But look with me in Zechariah. Now you say, how do I get there? You go back to Matthew. Then you go to Malachi. And then you go to Zechariah. You're only three books away. Zechariah chapter 9. And I want you to see a promise of God in identification about who this king was going to be. Notice with me Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. This is what the prophet says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion is the city of Jerusalem that Jesus was just about to enter. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. Your king is coming. He is just, the idea is there, he is righteous, and having salvation, he's going to save you. He is coming with salvation in his righteousness. Now look at this, lowly, let's say he's humble. He's riding upon an ass, upon a donkey, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. I'm going to take away these military methods from among you. And the battle bow shall be cut off. Your machine guns are going to be taken away. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea. And from the river even to the ends of the earth. What was God's promise to Israel more than 400 years before Jesus came? He said, how are you going to know your king who is going to bring salvation to you? Your king, when he comes, is going to be riding on a donkey. And a young donkey is what's going to bring him in. Behold, look, watch, your king is coming. But who is he going to be? He is going to be a lowly figure, a humble gentle figure and he's going to bring salvation to you god had been telling his people this for hundreds of years what is jesus doing when he got on a donkey that he had specifically called for that purpose and like whoa there's a donkey here let me get on he planned this he was intentionally doing this He said, bring the donkey. I'm going to sit on him. And I'm going to ride this last trek down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem in the direct fulfillment of the promise of God made hundreds of years before. Friends, he couldn't have been any clearer. I am the king. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is the chosen agent of salvation for the Jewish people. This was his clear announcement. He's a king. In fact, in Genesis chapter 49, 
there's a famous prophecy as well about the lawgiver coming out of the tribe of Judah, the one who would be the gathering of the people. And do you know what scripture says about him? Listen to this prophecy made by Jacob. He says, binding, that this king will be binding his foal to the vine and his ass's colt, his donkey's colt, colt under the choice vine. The king was connected to a donkey. You say, why? What does that mean? Well, friends, you need to understand the very nature of this kind of procession into a city. The Romans knew all about processions. The processions would be specifically allowed or authorized by the Roman Senate when there was a great battle victory. And do you know what would happen when they were led, when this general, when this king would lead his forces into the city for celebration? He would come on a four-horse chariot. A four-horse chariot with all kinds of pomp. Behind him, or perhaps driven before him, would come the captives that he had taken. The spoil that he had taken. You'd see exotic animals like, like elephants and other animals, dramatic exotic animals coming in. There would be the army coming with him. He would come in great pomp and circumstance, and they would be saying, here is the military general. Here is the conquering hero coming in on his dramatic battle horse. What about a donkey? A donkey was not a military animal. A donkey was what a king rode if he wanted to identify with his people. You saw this in the Old Testament when kings of the Old Testament would ride a donkey. There was nobility to it, but it was an identification. It was not, here's the military king coming. It was, here's your king. The guy who's riding a donkey in. A donkey who was just the king's. Who had perhaps never been ridden before, or was only set aside for the king's use. And Jesus calls an unridden, unbroken donkey, no purpose other than for him to ride on it. And he gets on that donkey, and he rides in, just like God had prophesied, because he was what? He was a man who was lowly. A man who was humbling himself to identify with the people of God. A man who did not come astride a noble horse fit for battle, but who came bearing salvation as the humble, gentle king who came to serve others. Jesus came in on a donkey, gentle, meek, humble. This is what Jesus was saying. This is why he was intentionally choosing it. Because it was time for the people of Israel to make a choice. It was time for them, for the question to be called. Have you ever heard the phrase, crossing the Rubicon? Crossing the Rubicon? The idea of crossing a Rubicon is reaching a point of no return. You do something, and now you can never turn back. You are committed. You are all in. And once you cross the Rubicon, you can never go back. It actually refers to a historical event. When Caesar, the great Caesar, entered, crossed the Rubicon 
into Italy with, a, with an army. It was crossing the Rubicon. There was no turning back. It was a civil war. And once Caesar crossed that Rubicon, history records that he said, the die is cast. There's no turning back. I have, I have played my hand, and this is it. Do you know what happened when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on a donkey? He crossed the Rubicon. There was no turning back. He said, I'm your king. What are you going to do about it? I'm your Messiah. Are you going to accept me, or are you going to reject me? And of course, we know what happens over that next week. Jesus knew what the answer would be. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that he would be slaughtered. He knew that he would be killed. And he knew that in doing so, his death would be for the salvation of the very people that were rejecting him and that were hanging him on a cross. Jesus was crossing the Rubicon. Friends, when you think of Palm Sunday, do not think of this glorious event when Jesus just happens to ride into Jerusalem and people figure out who he is and they applaud him as Messiah. Do not think that because it's not the case. What Palm Sunday is about is Jesus unmistakably and clearly declaring, I am the Messiah, I am the King, and you will be forced to choose. You will be forced to make a decision about who I am and who I am to you. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus knew what he was doing, and he made that conscious choice. There's a curious arrival that is explained by a clear announcement. And finally, there is a confused acknowledgement. What, what do I mean by that? It was an acknowledgement of the king, but it was confused. Will you look with me here? Look back at your Bibles at Mark chapter 11, and look with me in verse 8. And many spread their garments in the way. Who are, who are the many? Well, it was his disciples, but it was also part of the pilgrims that were going with him to Jerusalem. What Mark doesn't record for us, but John does, is that it was immediately before this time that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. It was only a couple days before this. And so now, as the people hear that Jesus raised someone from the dead, and other ones had heard about the great miracles that he had been doing, the crowd starts forming, and the crowd starts gathering. And John tells us some came out of the city of Jerusalem, and now they're joining in to the celebration. They're whipped up in this frenzy, in this uproar about this great prophet of God who's doing these divine miracles. And notice what they're doing. Some are spreading their garments in the way. They're making a red carpet, if you can think of it like that. They're, they're, they're laying out the red carpet for Jesus. What are others doing? Others are cutting down branches off the trees. And what did they do? They strewed them or they laid them in the way. You say, what is that? We learn elsewhere in the Bible, these were palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. Palm branches were a symbol of victory. Palm branches were attributed or, or were connected with royalty. In fact, we even see this historically. When around AD 66 and AD 70, 
the Roman emperor threw down, overthrew a rebellion by the, by the Jewish people and destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem, they actually stamped coins. And do you know what was on those coins, among other things? Palm branches. It was a picture of victory, of military might, of a conquering hero. So these people are cutting down these palm branches. They're waving them. They're laying them down. They're saying, you're the king. You're the king. You're coming. And look what else they say. Verse 9, and they that went before, that went ahead of Jesus, and they that followed behind Jesus, cried. They shouted, saying, Hosanna, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna. Maybe we don't use that word very often today. Do you know what that word Hosanna means? It is actually just a transliteration, actually, ultimately, of a Hebrew word. Two Hebrew words. We see them in the Old Testament of our Bibles. The word Hosanna literally just means save now. Save now. It could be a praise, like you would hear the people of Great Britain saying, God save our noble king. God save the king! It could be praise for them to say, save! Save! They're saying, you're our savior. You're our salvation. You're the one who's come to deliver us. It could be praise. It could also be prayer. Save us. Save us now. Save us now. Save us now. What it was it? They were saying, he's the king. Now, just for time's sake, I'll let you look this up on your own. But do you know what they were quoting? They were quoting Psalm 118. And you can actually find this in your Bibles in Psalm 118 and take a look in the verse 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. In that, in that section there, you'll see that they were actually quoting Psalm 118, which was one of the Hallel Psalms that was connected to the Passover ceremony. They were identifying Jesus as their king. They were saying, save now. You're the one coming on the throne of David. You are the one that we have been waiting for. And they were shouting out, Save now. Now let me ask you this. Was that right for them to do? Did Jesus like it that when he came in on a donkey, they started shouting, Save now, Hosanna to the Son of David? What do you think? The answer is yes. We know this from Luke chapter 19 because as Jesus was coming in this great procession, some of the Pharisees came on and said, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Shh! Quiet down. It's getting a little too much, don't you think? And do you know what Jesus told them? He said, if they stopped, what would the rocks do? He said the rocks would start crying out. This was so fitting for Jesus' declaration, his unambiguous declaration that I am the Messiah, I am the King. It was so fitting that there was this jubilant shouts of praise that he said, if the people weren't doing it, the rocks would start shouting out. Oh, this was right for them to do. It was the acknowledgement of who the king was. But here's the problem. I said it was a confused acknowledgement. Why? Because what did those people think about what the salvation of Jesus was all about? Save us. Save now. Save now. It was this. They wanted a political king. They wanted a military king. 
they were being ruled by the Romans. They hated it. They felt like they were under the thumb of this foreign Gentile rule, and they chafed against it. And so when Jesus was coming as the king and identifying him as the Zechariah 9 Messiah who came to bring salvation to them, they said, okay, we know what that's all about. Here are palm branches. Here's salvation to us from Rome. It is a military salvation. It is a political salvation. Do you know even Jesus' disciples were connected to the same thought? Do you remember in Luke chapter, I think it's 23, uh, excuse me, 24, when Jesus is meeting with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after he has died, and risen again, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. We've heard some strange news. You may remember what they said to Jesus, not knowing that it was him. They said, we thought it was he which should have redeemed Israel. We thought he was going to ransom and rescue our, our beaten down, trodden upon nation of Israel. They thought he was coming to save their nation and they didn't realize that's not what Jesus came to do at all. He didn't come on a noble battle horse. He came on a donkey. He came offering peace, not war. He came offering himself as the gentle and meek and humble and lowly one who came in his righteousness to give salvation, not with his military force and military might. And when he came to Jerusalem to call the question, to cross the Rubicon and say, I am your king who came as the gentle and humble and lowly ones, the people of Jerusalem said, not you. Not you. You'll go on a cross. See, the tragedy of Palm Sunday is that when Jesus unambiguously, clearly declared himself to be the Messiah who had been prophesied from the very beginning. God's people thought he was something else. And they missed him. And this is where I want to bring this back full circle to you and to me. What kind of a king is Jesus to you? Is he the one that came to give you victory over your earthly enemies, over your political foes, over those who are oppressing or persecuting you in some way? Did he come to be your victor in that sense? Or did Jesus, is the King Jesus that you know, the one riding the donkey, who came in his righteousness and his humility and his gentleness to save you? You see, this, this issue, friends, is not something that just first century Jews needed to, to grapple with. It's something that we do because it is a part of every one of our broken natures to desire a champion to win the day for our own personal interests. The leading contender for the Republican nomination for president in 2024 gave a speech not long ago, about a month ago. And the words that were so striking to me of what he said, because it, it is such a, a picture of what human nature is all about. He said this, 
In 2016, I'm quoting, I declared, I am your voice. Today I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. And I don't just single out one party. What I say is our human nature today is to desire a warrior, is to desire a champion, is to desire one who can deliver us from our hated enemies and bring us victory. Do you know what these people were in first century Judea? They were nationalists. They said, we need Israel saved from our enemies. And I promise you, friends, you will hear with equal fervor today, we need America to be saved from our enemies. We need to be delivered from our enemies, domestic and international. And sometimes we see Jesus on that battle horse of politics saying, right on, King Jesus, take it to our enemies. Deliver us, bring us to where you want our nation to be. And there's Jesus on the donkey coming gentle and lowly and meek and says, are you looking for me? Are you looking for the one who wants to bring salvation, not to your political enemies and to your international foes, but the one who needs to bring salvation first to you, to me? You see, whenever we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, go conquer all those people around, Jesus looks back at us and says, don't you see that the problem is not out there? It starts with what's in you. I came to bring salvation to you and so that you would reflect my gentle, humble, lowly, meek character. You see, friends, you could put the entire army of the United States entirely in Jesus' command today and it would not do one thing to advance his kingdom. You could put the entire political apparatus under, of the United States under King Jesus today Again, I'm just having a hypothetical. And it would not advance his kingdom because the kingdom of Jesus Christ came with a donkey in gentleness and humility and lowliness. What kind of king are you looking for in King Jesus? Is it the recognition that, first of all, he came to save you from your sin? May we see that is who King Jesus is. That is what Palm Sunday is about. Do not be confused. Do not mistake it like those of the first century did. And there's one last thing that I say. It's this. Jesus did come as king. And one day, friend, he will be on a white horse. Revelation 19 says that when Jesus comes back the second time, he will be on a white horse going to bring out the justice and the judgment of God on those who have rejected him. Right now, right now, Jesus is calling you to a choice. Will you embrace him as your king? Will you embrace him as the one who came gentle and meek and lowly to be your Lord and Savior? Or will you turn away and say, I don't want that Jesus. I'll pick something else. What, friend, have you done with Jesus today? Have you accepted him as your king? I plead with you this morning, on this Palm Sunday, see Jesus on that donkey, identifying himself as the king, as the Messiah, as the savior of all of God's people, and give yourself entirely to him. Bow your knee and enter in 
to his kingdom by faith.